Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Hello, you are listening to KHPS FM 107.1 AM 1220, and this is the Ask Brian radio show. So, Jennifer, just you and me, just the ladies today, right? right? I know. I like it. I I could get used to this. I do think that we're having way too much fun, and I'm sure that Peter is enjoying his trip to Machu Picchu. But like we said last week, I bet he's in some way, some form or fashion, waving that cell phone around, trying to get a signal right now. (laughs) (laughs) But we will carry on our tradition without him today. And if you're new to the Ask Brian show, you might be asking, why is the show named Ask Brian if the co-host names are Peter and Tracy? Well, that we can't really explain. But what we can explain is that the show's been Ask Brian now for well over five years, and it's all focused on entrepreneurship. And we spell Brian with an E so that we can focus on all of the good stuff, like the expert, and boy, do we have just the most amazing entrepreneurial expert in the house with us today, Jennifer. So I know you have a lot of empathy for how we open this show, and (laughs) I'm going to let you off the hook and just jump right in and interview our guest because I don't want to wait another minute for our listeners to meet Daniel Mulvey. Ah, good. So no, So, no yelling or screaming into the mic. No yelling, no screaming. When estrogen is the number one E in the studios today, we don't do all that crazy stuff. We just get to the good content, right? Ah, good. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yay. Okay. Well, so Danielle, I want to bring you into the studio. I am so just beyond thrilled that you were able to take time out of what I know is a crazy schedule for you to be our guest on the Ask Brian radio show today. So welcome and hello. Hi, it is exciting to be here and I love your guys' energy. Well, thank you for that, E. We find you to be an exceptional guest and let me tell our listeners why. So you were a former flight attendant turned entrepreneur and you're the owner of multiple businesses doing 50 million plus in annual revenue. So I know, Jennifer, there's no doubt about this. Daniel definitely qualifies as an expert for the Ask Brian show. One of the things that you're going to find out as listeners is that she is just, first of all, one of the nicest, most humble, beautiful humans that you will ever meet. But this whole idea of, you know, concurrently running multiple businesses from startup to mature businesses, 10-year-plus track record with revenues ranging from a million to 40 million in annual revenues, and also the host of the Profit First Nation podcast, where she digs into a lot of the philosophies around the best-selling Profit First book written by Mike Michalowicz, and you and Mike do some of the shows together, and you're just a total like mastery certified Profit First professional. So there's so much for us to get into today. But the first thing I want to ask you is tell us a little bit about how you went from flight attendant 
to multiple businesses doing over $50 million in revenue? Because I'm pretty sure that's not a linear story. (laughs) Um, Well, it spans about 24 months. So when I graduated, maybe this is like TMI, but when I graduated college, my boyfriend was going to be a fifth year senior. So I was kind of like baiting my time and such. So I thought, well, you know, I'll just be a flight attendant for a year and then kind of see, you know, where the chips fall and such. And so um, I became a flight attendant and I can say like it was a five minute interview. They hired me and it was really interesting. I mean, it was like working for a large corporation out of the gate, kind of seeing things and stuff. But the funny thing is I learned probably my biggest business secret and lesson by being a flight attendant. And so Tracy, do you know why airplanes don't fall out of the sky? I am assuming that it has to do (laughs) with the integrity of the plane and gravity, but I do not know the answer to be 100% factual. So what blew my mind when I was a flight attendant is the reason that airplanes don't fall out of the sky is because the pilots are required to follow a checklist during flight. So that ensures that every flight never misses a critical step. And that is how airline transportation has become the safest commercial transportation vehicle around and So by following a checklist, you get pure consistency. It's the same thing every time when you follow a checklist. And so that just blew my mind as a, you know, 22 year old person, a flight attendant, um, that no matter how many years, how many hours these pilots had, they still had to follow a checklist and they had someone, you know, the co-pilot or if the pilot was the kind of serving as the co-pilot and the co-pilot was flying, you know, they, they went through this process. They had accountability. They had a double check, but they had to face, they have to follow a checklist and such. And so that just kind of became when I started my businesses, my idea of like, okay, if we want things to be done the same way and consistent and no errors, we need to have checklists in our business. And so, you know, when I started my first business about like, oh gosh, 15 months after I left the airlines, um, I was only a flight attendant for about a year. It was not much so for me. To learn a huge, long enough to learn that huge lesson though, right? Yes. 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 <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. So that's one thing that I did was, was start the business by having checklists in the business so that we were doing things on a consistent and a regular basis and kind of error-free ideally. I love that. And so tell us a little bit about what your first business was and then connect the dots for us and how you began getting involved with and becoming so involved with the Profit First Professionals. Yeah. So I left the airlines and, you know, I'm sure everyone's just wondering, well, what happened to the college boyfriend? Well, as soon as (laughs) I left the airlines and moved back to our college town of Nashville, he broke up with me like three days later. Um, oh, so, oh my gosh, but, hold on though. I have a moment right now that I must do. If anyone has ever seen Pretty Woman, I want to pause for a moment to tell whoever that boyfriend was, big mistake, big, big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he admitted that about seven years later. 
But anyways, we move on. Um, and when I went to Nashville, I got a job in an advertising and marketing agency. And when I started in that agency, there were 65 employees. About a year later, there were 15 employees. The place was just, the wheels were coming off. It was well off the track. Like it was, it was the craziest thing. And, you know, I would call home to California and talk to my dad. He's been a business owner now for almost 50 years and just tell him and it like couldn't fathom it. And, and I couldn't fathom it either. And so when uh, I was the, the fourth account executive on um, service merchandise's account, they said, oh my gosh, please promise me you're not leaving. And I'm like, I can't promise you that. Oh my God. Um, I, I had already tried to leave twice before and I, you know, they just kept throwing more money at me. So I stayed, but on the third time I just was like, I'm gone, I'm done. But I had gotten some stuff done for service merchandise. So they're like, if you leave, would you start your own agency and take care of us? Cause like you really get this. Now I wasn't doing all of service merchandise. It was a very specific special event business around their jewelry department. And they sold more diamonds in the United States than anyone at the time. And so I was like, sure. So I started my first business out of the gate and had a client in hand. But it gets, it gets a little crazy real quick. About a little over a month after um, opening up a business and you know hiring a graphic designer and hiring you know a, a junior account executive to work with me, Service merchandise filed for bankruptcy. Oh, um, so that was quite a punch to the gut. And, you know, the crazy thing about that too is that when they file for bankruptcy, they, if you have, if you have a client that files for bankruptcy, the bankruptcy court can claw back money that you've been paid by your client and such. So that was a little bit harrowing and such, but we ended up like navigating it. Um, they didn't claw back any money. They remained in business for about another couple of years and such. But that also taught me like another huge lesson about being in business because I thought, okay, well, this is my first client. I'm just going to throw everything at this. We're going to just going to really be like on them and, and, and everything. And, and, you know, we'll give it about a year and then we'll look at expanding. Well, after them filing for bankruptcy, then I learned that you can't keep all of your eggs in one basket. And it's so important to not have that reliance on one or two clients, one or two employees, or one or two vendors. You really have to diversify things in your business across both clients, employees, and vendors and such. So so I, I tend to like pick up these big lessons pretty quickly because you know, I'm, I'm experiencing it firsthand. Well, and I think it's so important what you're saying is that you're learning these experiences, some of them really positive, some of them more challenging. But as long as you're taking these nuggets of wisdom out of the experiences and applying them to future growth, then it's all worth it. And it's the ability, almost a lot of times, we can't connect the dots unless we look retroactively and then we say, oh, okay, well, this led us to this and this led us to that. And if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened. So, I mean, I think it's really smart to pick up the nuggets along the way because then, I mean, one of the things that you're so well known for is having the ability to personally guide business owners to really overcome and shortcut these learning curves. So I think it's fantastic that you are able to use your own learning experiences to help others not have to go through some of those things, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think everything in, in life kind of is 
happens for a reason and such. And so it's important to kind of then like, okay, why is this happening? (laughs) Retrospectively look at. And sometimes it's the darker moments that you learn the most from, not always the ones when things are going easy and smooth, but the times when you are hitting those rocky roads. And I love the real true wisdom that you pointed out that I want us to gloss over from a learning perspective of about making sure you're diversifying not only your staff and making sure that roles, you know, can be covered if, you know, not putting everything into one key employee, not putting everything into one key client or one key vendor. And I think the diversification of vendors is something that people don't think a lot about because they just get really comfortable with, oh, this is my web guy. He's my go-to. He's my person. And then all of a sudden, if he decides that he doesn't want to do it anymore or God forbid something happens, then you just have to have multiple backups in order to be able to continue to service your clients. And I just think it's it's great that you mentioned diversification around vendors because I don't think that's something entrepreneurs think a lot about. They just get really attached to the one way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. And and you start to think, oh, I'm going to get the best price because I'm going to give them all of my business and such. And you just want to definitely keep everyone on their toes which kind of also brings me to a quick point, you know, every business owner, uh, you know, needs to keep their, their financials and, and needs the help usually of an, of an accounting professional or two. So just if, if you don't mind me standing on my soapbox here really quickly. Not at all. Because, Go uh, ahead. <laughs> I, what I hate to see and what I hate reading in the paper, and I don't know, it's like in Orange County every week, the local paper here, the Orange County Register has got some story of someone embezzling funds from their employer. And, you know, whether you're big or small, I've seen it firsthand when I've gone into companies to, you know, kind of help them implement profit first and look at their numbers and such. And so that is one area that I definitely recommend if you have an in-house bookkeeper or you outsource your bookkeeping, that's great. But you should also then have a separate CPA that reviews the books as well. So you have a check and a balance and not one person is controlling your finances. And, you know, if, if, if you are getting resistance from your bookkeeper and saying like, like I kind of like, you can't see me because we're on radio, but like, you know, they're kind of putting out their arm and saying, Oh, I got this. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, it's complicated and you know, it's, it's accounting and, and you're not, you're not accounting. So don't worry. I've got the numbers. I'm taking care of this. If they are like kind of like trying to keep you away, that's a big red flag as well. So, you know, if you're going to own your business, you need to learn to love your numbers and you have to own the financials of your business. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be doing the bank reconciliations. You don't need to be entering the transactions in QuickBooks, et cetera, but you have to own and understand and love the numbers of your business because if you love the numbers of your business, and they're going to love you back. But if you have your head buried in the sand when it comes to the financials of your business, like an ostrich, then, you know, you're going to be not for long in business, let's just say. You will not, you will not navigate or successfully come out of the next possible pandemic or recession. So, you know, I think the first thing is that whatever you think about money, I mean, money is a funny thing because it's, tends to be like 90% emotional and 10% logic. And so you, you've got to like shift that emotion to being positive about finances, positive about money, put yourself in control and love your numbers and own your financials of your business. 
And for entrepreneurs, I think that's an incredibly powerful message to really take in and receive and absorb. I think for good reason, entrepreneurs, founders, they get labeled you know, the visionaries, the creatives, the innovators, the people who are there driving the future force of what the company is can be and will be and is going to be. And that lack of attention to finances is almost something that is a badge of honor to a degree in some ways as a stereotype. So I think it is really important. And that's not true for all founders, but I do think that it sets you up for a bookkeeper to have that kind of conversation with you that you were just saying that, oh, no, I've got this. You know, you go do your magic. You go do everything that you're brilliant at and just let me take care of this. And it's such a seductive thing to buy into, especially if the if the finance aspect of it isn't your jam to start out with. Oh my gosh, you just nailed it. Yeah, like it's like, oh, great. The part, the thing that I don't like, someone's going to take care of it great. But, you know, your bookkeeper can rob you blind, but your bookkeeper and your accountant, they can't make the decisions that drive the profitability in your business. So there's only two ways to increase the profitability in your business. And it's not sell more. The only two ways to increase the profitability in your business are to, number one, increase margin. So increase prices. So you're making more per sale. And number two, decrease expenses. And so, you know, ideally it's a combination of both and we'll get into profit first as a cash management system for your business, but it's an iterative process. Like you're always going to be needing to be looking and and cognizant and putting your calendar when you're going to raise prices and how often you're going to raise prices. And you can't be arbitrary about raising prices. I hate it when people like raise price 5% or, you know, they raise it $5 or something. And it's like, well, what percentage was that? And they're like, I don't know okay, well, it's really like 2% and inflation has gone up 6 7%. So you're still taking a haircut and such. Right. There's really only two ways to increase your profits. It's either raise your prices or cut your expenses. And she was referencing the profit-first cash management system. So Danielle, tell us a little bit more about profit-first in general. And how just integral the cash management system is to entrepreneurs who are scaling their businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think a sobering statistic is that 83% of small businesses operate their businesses check to check, which means money comes in and then it's gone in a flash. And it's partially because we run our business by bank balance accounting. We have one business bank account, the money comes in, clients pay us. And then we see how much do we have to spend? We log into our bank account and we see, oh, we've got X number of dollars. Great. We've got money to spend. And so we spend, 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 spend. And it's like we've given Jabba the Hut the key to a unlimited cash buffet and such. And then we sort of lose sight of, well, wait a minute. You know, I've got the insurance premium for our general liability insurance due in two months. And, oh, and we've got that annual subscription and this, that, the other. So you start to lose, oh, and payroll. Oh my gosh, if you've got payroll and such. So when you are operating your business out of one check account, you tend to be operating check to check because you look at that the balance and you go, we've got money to spend and, and we think we have to spend money to make money, right? And here's the sad thing, you know, again, these businesses that are operating check to check, if you're not paying yourself as an entrepreneur, you are in that 83% of, of entrepreneurs living check to check. 
as a business owner, you have to pay yourself. Absolutely, you're the most important employee in your business. And so Profit First works this way. And Profit First, we take all of the money that comes into the business. And as it comes into the business, we deposit it into what we'll label an income account. And then we are going to have four additional accounts that we open up. These are checking accounts at your bank. You're going to open up a profit account, an owner's pay account, a tax account, and an operating expense account. So you'll have five accounts, five checking accounts at your primary bank. That's an income account, profit, owner's pay, tax, and operating expenses. And so as you get paid by your clients, the money's going to accumulate in that income account. And then on your designated allocation day, so in the book, Mike talks about doing your allocation days on the, on the 10th and 25th of the month. In our businesses, we do our allocation day on Wednesdays every other week because we have payday on Friday. So, so we're allocating ahead of payday. And then on your allocation day, you are going to allocate a percentage from income to your profit account. We're going to allocate to profit first, and that is going to ensure that we have a profitable business because we are putting profit first. Then we are going to allocate to owner's pay. We have to pay ourselves. If we're not making money to put a roof over our head, put gas in the car, food on the table, we're not in business very long. And you know, entrepreneurs who are like, oh yeah, well, um, my husband's got a great job or my wife has a great job. And, and so I don't really need to make the money. No, 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 no. You need to understand what you need to be making in your business to sustain yourself to, you know, if something happened to your spouse and such, you need to, you know, make this a real legitimate business by paying yourself a salary. And you need to understand what it takes to run your household and how much you need to make. And then you're going to allocate a percentage to tax. So the tax account in Profit First is meant for the owner. And you are going to use the money in that tax account to pay your um, estimated quarterly taxes and your annual taxes. And you can even reimburse yourself your payroll taxes as well. So in Profit First, the profit account, owner's pay, and tax are three servings for you, the owner. And then you allocate the rest to operating expenses. And so operating expenses tell you how much you have to spend on things like marketing, payroll, rent, all of those things that you need to run your business off of. And so by having this sort of like small plate mentality of your business, you know exactly what the intention is for the cash in your business. And then you know how to work within that what's available. You know need to be mindful of how much we're spending in our business. Remember, the only two ways to increase profitability are to increase margin, raise prices, and or decrease expenses. So, you know, with every dollar that you spend in your business on operating expenses is a dollar going out the door that is not profit. And so, you know, you really like, you've got to challenge yourself. Can I do this for $1,000? Absolutely. But you know what? Could you do it for $500? Or could you do it for $250? We have to be cognizant of how we're spending the money. And can we make decisions that make us more profitable by doing more with less dollars? And so, you know, like some things I love when people... I, I've seen so many businesses and their income statements of their P&Ls. 
and I mean, they're in the red and, and it oftentimes like they've spent more on marketing than they've even made in sales. And so, you know, I just like to throw out a, a couple of good metrics for you to run your business off of. The first one is marketing. So in marketing, you should be getting a 6x return on your marketing dollars. So if you spend a dollar, then you should be getting $6 in return. And if you're not getting $6 in return, then you need to find something else. We need to challenge ourselves and find something else and try something else that's going to give us a 6x return. Doubling the dollars, 2xing it is not enough. 3xing is not enough. 4xing it, okay, now you're going in the right direction, but we need to get to at least a 6x in terms of that return on marketing dollars to ensure good profits in your business. So coming back to what you were saying, I'm just going to reiterate it. For every marketing dollar you invest, you should be able to get a 6x return. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, I mean, you have to work for it, you know, and you just can't be lazy about it and you have to pay attention to things. I mean, again, you know, like this is, just because other people are doing it doesn't mean that they're successful, right? I shared 83% of businesses are operating check to check. So eight out of 10 entrepreneurs, the people that you're sitting with at, at lunch at a, at a networking event or something, I mean, they're in this boat of like, they're just doing kind of what everyone else is doing and what everyone else is doing is spinning their wheels. So you've got to like, we want you to be a 17% entrepreneur with cash in the bank to correlate to your profitability. And by doing that is, you know, instead of spending $100 to get a $300 return, we're going to spend $100 and get a $600 return or impact on our revenue. And that's going to put us in that 17% category of profitable entrepreneurs with cash in the bank to correlate to our profitability. So when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting to, I mean, I guess what I want to say first as an entrepreneur, and I did not know about the Profit First program until we actually got connected and we got connected through your podcast, Profit First Nation podcast, which producer podcast produces. And I love the relationship that we have with you and your team and with the podcast. But probably my most favorite thing about when I got to meet you and learn more about your podcast was about the system. Because as an entrepreneur, I didn't even know that there was an alternative way. Like you were saying, the um, and what do you say, the traditional bank balance, what, running things, things through one bank account? Yeah. Yeah. And just looking, logging in online and saying, oh, okay, well, we've got $3,000 to spend and I want to spend 2500 So we're good to go. Let's spend oh, it. I mean, you know? I have I've absolutely been guilty. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've been my own business owner for decades and I'm not going to lie. I've definitely been guilty of that. But I think what I love the most about finding out more about the Profit First Cash Management System is it's so logical. And like my soapbox is why isn't every MBA, why isn't every business course, why isn't every entrepreneurial, um, there's so many colleges now that are teaching entrepreneurship, but they're not teaching this. And that's got to be something that I know you're screaming from the top of every building, but it's so logical. And, and I feel like every entrepreneur who started their business, if they started out like this, they're just setting themselves up for success from just out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, one of the misnomers about profit first is you need to be, quote, profitable before you implement it. <laughs> no, no, no. Like this is going to put you on the path to permanent profitability. 
and keep you on the path to permanent profitability if you're doing profit first right. So yeah, it's, it's great for a business out of the gate, a business that's three months old or a business that's six plus years old. And so you walked us through the five accounts, which I, you know, one is bringing in the income and two, making sure allocating for profit, three, allocating for owner pay, which is so important. And one of the things I was thinking when you were talking about the owner's pay, it's not just important for gratifying and, and just fundamentally just imperative to pay yourself for all kinds of reasons. But another reason that I think a lot of businesses don't think about is that if they were to sell their business and exactly. they have been not paying themselves, then really the valuation on their business could be affected, correct? Because there's nothing, they'd have to pay somebody to replace you are in your business. And that would come at a pretty hefty CEO price tag, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, there's other things too. I mean, if you implement profit first in your business, like you have really clear, clean financials and that is super important and, and helps you with the valuation of your business because, and you also have to think too, that your business being profitable, that's how they pay the multiple is the multiple is on your profitability. So if, if you're only making, you know, $50,000 a year, well, then, you know, you're going to, they're going to 3X or 5X or 6X that $50,000 a year. But if you're making $200,000 a year in profit, now we're going to 3X, 5X that. And that's significant. So it's so important that you're not using, when, when we have one bank account, people tend to use their business as a, as a personal piggy bank, right? And they're just dipping in. It's like, well, it's my money. I'm going to pay taxes on it anyway. I can, you know, use this and I can, you know, just kind of like, um, you know, pay my home cable bill or pay my home bills out of the business and such. And, and that reduces my expenses. And by reducing my expenses, I pay less in taxes and such. But you are shooting yourself in the foot. When you do that, in both your left foot and your right foot, because number one, you're not building any wealth. You're just buying things and things doesn't really make you wealthy. Cash in the bank makes you wealthy. And then when you go to sell your business, it's not very valuable on paper. And, and here's, a, here's a tip. If you're looking at buying a business and the business owner gives you financials and the financials look great, ask for their income taxes. Ask for their personal and their business income taxes. And if they won't share that with you, that means that they've given you some uh, fake financials because oh. the financials should tie should tie to their tax returns. And if they don't tie to their tax returns, they've been using their business as a personal piggy bank. They've given you financials that are inflated, that are trying to get you to pay them more. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people trust the financials and overpay for a business that is like worthless. Such great information. And we are with Daniel Mulvey, who, if you didn't hear from the beginning, former flight attendant turned entrepreneur and the owner of multiple businesses doing 50 million plus in annual revenue. But even more important than the 50 million in annual revenue is that she is on a mission to make sure that every entrepreneur's business is profitable because what's the point in having all of this amazing top-line revenue if you don't have any money in the bank? Right, Danielle? Oh, exactly. Exactly. We are eliminating entrepreneurial poverty. You've got to pay yourself. You've got to have cash in the bank to correlate to your profitability. Yes. And we have definitely more content to dig into. But before we do that, what I really want to make sure that we do is let people know how they can get in touch with you. Because off the mic, we were talking about this show goes by 
so fast. There's so much to cover. And I just know our listeners are going to want to continue this conversation with you. So tell us a little bit about how they can reach out to you to get some of your golden wisdom. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, it's the podcast, Profit First Nation, where we have it on YouTube as well. And uh, if you go to ProfitFirstNation.com, that's our official website. But, you know, if you're kind of like wanting a, a little like summary, um, a brief cliff notes version of Profit First, then you can text Profit First, all one word, Profit First to 909-741-1321. So that's Profit First to 909-741-1321. And you will get sort of a, a, a good download on what we talked about today in a good summary format. I love that. So for everybody, that's nine text profit first to nine zero nine seven four one one three two one. Okay. So Danielle, one of the things, so I had mentioned before that we connected through my company, Producer Podcast, on your podcast. And also noticed, just so happened to notice that one of the episodes that you released, I think it's episode 126, actually, is around the power of done-for-you services. And of course, <laughs> Producer Podcast is a full-service podcast production agency. So tell our entrepreneurs why that's so important. You know, um, especially for entrepreneurs, like... Uh, and, and this kind of like became, you know, something for me. And then and it made me think, well, gosh, I need to find more of this. But when you can outsource things and have done for you services, it just makes your life so much easier. You get that kind of built in redundancy. You get people who are experts at doing it. I know you guys have checklists for every aspect of, of what goes on in supporting the production of our, of our podcast and such. And, you know, when I started the podcast a few years ago, it, you know, it was kind of like a, a, a two-man show to a certain degree and such. And it just became too overwhelming. And, and I didn't know, like, I honestly put my podcast on pause because it, it became too much for us to handle with the growth and such. So finding done-for-you services is so important. And I kind of had a V8 moment, too. We, we actually transitioned something that we offer in one of my companies where we were trying to, you know, help people learn how to do something, it was like, you know, we, we could charge five times as much and, and do it for them. And, and they're glad to pay for it. In fact, they'd rather pay to have someone uh, do it for them. So that's something I think that's going to be a really big trend coming up is, is advertising in 2024, you know, and offering solutions as a done for you more for your clients and such and just taking care of it for them instead of them having to, you know, piece it together hire people, find subcontractors, et cetera, and kind of maybe even lose some of that consistency when you have our piecemealing it together. I think you're absolutely right on that too. And there, there is such an asset in having someone else's team of experts that have already, they've already gone to school on the checklist and the systems and put them in place. And you can benefit from all that without having to recreate the wheel. But one of the areas of expertise that you have among the many that we've talked about today is around recruiting an employee and, and <laughs> an employee. So just give us maybe a 60 second insight on that aspect of your world. Yeah. So, I mean, the point of that is that you just never want to settle and we tend to want to believe people a little too much. And 
So don't settle for an average ho-hum or worse employee or candidate. Cast as wide of a net as possible. Get as many candidates in there and really take them through what we call a botlick. You know, you should be spending with the person that ends up with the job like eight to 12 hours with that person over the course of about 10 days. You want to work through candidates quickly and such, but you want to have multiple in-depth interviews with them. You want to give them skills testing. You know, it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. So give them tests so you can see that they can actually do what they say they can do. And then have a shadow day in office if you're work from work or if you work virtually, you know, create a shadow day for them where they're attending a client meeting and then asking them to write a summary email, follow-up email after the client meeting. Again, putting them in what a day in the life or four hours in the life of doing this job will be. And um, and, and let's be honest, we say that a five-star employee represents the top 15% of available talent, which means only one out of seven candidates is a five-star employee. So you're going to have to reject six people for every seven candidates you have. This is a, how you get the best of the best of their true five-star employee for the role. Uh, love that. Well, I totally wish we had more time, but we're running out of time. So if you want to hear more, make sure you go to ProfitFirstNation.com and download Danielle's podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And make sure that if you want to hear this conversation and reference back, it's the Ask Brian podcast. That's A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.